0: Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. A little bit about their life. And so uh, today we have Judah uh, King, who is just up here. He's our worship pastor. He's going to come up and share his story. Let's give him a hand. As he comes.
1: So I'm a native Wisconsinite. Um, I was raised in a Christian family, and when I was seven years old, I knelt by the old couch in our living room, and my mom led me in a prayer to surrender my life to Jesus. My dad was the pastor of our church, and from a young age I was involved in church ministry, both in serving and in music. Um, I was homeschooled uh, through high school and lived in a small farming community, and being the pastor's kid didn't really have any friends, or social interaction outside of church. Uh, Through my teens, I continued to serve and was really passionate about my faith, but really didn't know what it was to make Jesus my personal savior. I knew what to say and how to act to be a Christian, but I didn't really understand the personal heart investment that was required to make my salvation a relationship. When I went to tech school in my early 20s, I was exposed to the world and all its vices and temptations for the first time in a very true way. Because I hadn't had many friends growing up and I was a people pleaser, uh, and my faith was still not based on a true understanding of a relationship with Jesus, I made quite a few bad choices. Through all that time, I was still tied to my parents' church through music and leading worship. But after graduating tech school, I moved to Eden Prairie, Minnesota uh, to lead a youth group and lead worship in a larger church. I quickly realized that leading youth was uh, not what I was called to do, uh, but leading leading worship was my true passion and calling. Um, With some timely mentoring and accountability from my senior pastor and my worship pastor there, I began to really pursue a personal relationship with Jesus in my times of worship. Uh, Worship became my time for making him a friend I could talk to, a savior I could repent and receive grace from, and a lord I could give my allegiance to through my worship. I was blessed uh, in this time to meet and marry the woman of my dreams and three and a half years later we moved here to the Madison area and now have two amazing children. From a very young age through today uh, I've been worshiping my king through music sometimes superficially, sometimes in sin, sometimes dutifully, but always with the knowledge that it has kept me tied to him. Myself personally and and now my family have had a lot of ups and downs, financially, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, but through all this and through all of life, I can truly sing from my heart to my King that it is well with my soul. Yeah.
0: So we're so uh, blessed and thrilled to have uh, the King family here. His father pastors the church uh, on the east side. Um, sorry I interrupted you. Um, so, but over off on uh, Femrite, Springs of Hope, great church, great man, great family. We love it. And God has blessed us by sending them here to lead our teams in worship. Doesn't he do a great job and the team do a great job? Let's give them a hand for all the good things they do. We have a great worship team. So many of you know that I have been harping on uh, developing a culture of prayer um, during the last several months. And uh, I, you know, sometimes there's this confusion going on about prayer. It's, you know, sometimes you don't really know like for, for food example, you, for example, you don't, you don't really know when you should pray, when you shouldn't, you know, when, you know, should you start with certain things? When is it acceptable? And so uh, there's some confusion. I thought it would be great to ask some advice. And so I got a friend named John Chris that's going to give us a little bit of advice today. So let's go ahead and watch this.
2: Today we're talking about pre-meal prayer very confusing subject. A lot of people don't know when to pray, what to pray for, how to pray, who prays. Hey, do you want me to, should I pray? You want to, should we pray? I don't know. All very confusing. We're going to cover it all today. Let's get started. Chips and salsa. Sometimes they bring it to the table before you're even seated. There's no need to pray for that. Lots of people wonder about appetizers. Do you pray for them? Do you not pray for them? No prayer is necessary for an appetizer if you have entrees coming out later. Salad, that is the most confusing thing on the prayer continuum. If it's a side salad or an appetizer salad, no need for prayer there. Now, if it's a main course salad, or you're bringing it out with the rest of everyone else's meal, that then is gonna require some kind of prayer. But I put that kind of in a separate category. For the most part, when you're thinking about salads, just remember this, if it requires dressing, it doesn't require a blessing. Do I pray for coffee? No, are you a psychopath? No one wants to be next to the person at Starbucks that's praying over a latte, you weirdo. Soup, do you pray for soup? Do you not pray for soup? It's only bowl-related soups. Anything smaller than that is always off the hook. I like to say if it comes in a cup, no need to lift up. Everyone knows if you order a hamburger, that's gonna require prayer, but if you order sliders, That does not require prayer. It's a little glitch in the system a lot of people are not aware of. Potato skins? No prayer. Baked potato? Prayer. Ask any Bible-believing Christian. They're gonna have a different policy on fries. Some say, never eat the fries. Some say, eat as many as you want. Here's the policy on fries. Up to three fries is acceptable to eat prior to the prayer. That brings us to dessert. Always a very confusing situation. A lot of times people go out to a show, go to a movie, hey should we grab some dessert afterward? Yeah, let me get the crumb brulee, I love cheesecake. Ugh. You don't need to pray for that because you've already prayed for your meal earlier in the night. Do you hold hands before you pray? That depends on your situation. If it's a personal family gathering, some close-knit Bible study of some sort, sure, a hold hand wouldn't be uncomfortable. Now, if you're on a Tinder date, that might throw off the mood a little bit. Most of the confusion surrounding pre-meal prayer comes from when to actually pray. Let me just say, on behalf of waiters, all over the world. Please pray when your waiter is not there. There's nothing worse than a waiter coming out with two full arms of fajitas and you're over there mid-Praira Jabez. Like, what are you doing? Last but certainly not least, who at the table? volunteers to lead the prayer. Lots of people say the man should lead the prayer. Why is that? I'm not sure. It's 2018. Maybe we should get that rule adjusted at some point in the near future. A lot of people operate under the most spiritual person at the table. They're going to be the one that should pray because that prayer is going to be the most powerful and effective. So if you got obviously a pastor A missionary, even a Christian blogger of some sort, shoot, even a volunteer youth pastor, that prayer is going to be a little less effective, but it's still going to qualify. If you're just an average person sitting at the table with obviously more spiritual people around you, you're kind of off the hook because I feel like God would be like, hey, how come y'all didn't bless this meal? you would be like, I don't know. Ask the pastor. He works for you.
0: (laughs) All right. Yeah. So you got it? You know, just trying to help. We're a full-service church, you know, just trying now into our story, make sure that we're helping you out, just a little bit on this culture of prayer. So as we we continue now into our story, um, we're not just learning biblical truth or historical truth, we're we're actually learning life lessons um, for us during our lives that we can live by. Um, So uh, many of you heard about the illustration, the analogy, the metaphor, so on and so forth, of the frog in the kettle, okay? Um, for example, many of you, if you know, if you, if you try to put a frog into a boiling pot or a pot of boiling water, um, the, the frog would jump out, obviously. But water, uh, frog in the, the kettle and, um, you know, sort of slowly turn the temperature up over a period of time, um, you're actually going to be able to cook the frog to death, And then you can have frog legs. (laughs) By the way, they taste like chicken, just so you know. Um, You'll have some frog legs. And so in our message today, the frog, the frog story is a metaphor for the person in the story that we're going to study today. And his name is Solomon. It was David's son from Bathsheba. Now, if you don't have one of our outlines, slip up your hands and our ushers will serve you. Uh, these are our outlines that have some of the stuff I'm talking about. You can fill in the blank and you can take them home and archive them or look them look at them further when you get home. Um, so Solomon Solomon is Dava, David and Beth. so Solomon uh, Solomon um, was a frog who could jump over any lily pad who I mean he had a, like sort of this blue blood of royalty flowing through his veins. Um, he was a frog incest, would kiss. As a matter of fact, 700 of them did. Um, that, that, yeah, plus 300 concubines. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Solomon got himself into, into this kettle. He, he got himself in trouble. He got himself into lukewarm water. And by the end of his life, he was cooked. He had his goose cooked. Um, Solomon actually started out strong but um, got into the pot and by the end um, we could see that he ends poorly and it's not uncommon in scripture to see that happen. Um, You've you've seen in several lives that we've studied uh, in the Old Testament that were in similar situations that started out well and then along the line they, they sort of made some drastic and major blunders and choices in life that really messed them up and they didn't end so well. So let's learn some life lessons today. What do you say? Let's learn some things that, uh, and you've been finding out, the cool thing is you've been finding out and I've been finding out that, that there's some great takeaways in the Old Testament. There's some, there's some great principles that we can study and learn um, that apply to us today, those takeaways, they might, may not be the, the very specific culture and timing and things that, that we currently deal with today, um, very just specifically duplicated, but the overall principles of the, the scriptures about these, men, lo, mean, these men's lives actually has application, amen? And it's transferable. So um, first, we need to understand that God made an unconditional promise to David. Um, This was the promise. The promise was that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and sit on the throne of David. There's some blanks there you might want to fill in on your outlines. Um, But that was the promise that he made. And so it makes complete sense that David, when David dies, that one of his sons would succeed him. And uh, the one that God actually chose to succeed David was this guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon, um, most of us have heard about him. Solomon was David and Bathsheba's son. Yes, the, 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 you know, the woman that he actually had um, committed adultery with. And then ultimately or subsequently had her husband killed on the battlefield. And we could see from last week, we found out that David... His firstborn son, the one that was born to him by Bathsheba when he committed adultery, died at birth. We talked about that last week. And uh, I mean some of you would say, Well, why why would he God allow Solomon, who was the son of David and Bathsheba, to actually become the next king of Israel? Well, I think come the next cause it serves as a reminder that no matter how mess, how bad we mess things up in life, and how many of you have made a few mistakes along the way, that God can still redeem us, even though there's natural consequences for us to experience for our sin, um, that God can still come through and make our lives into something beautiful. Did you hear me? That, that Somebody needs to hear that today. You've You've screwed up, you've made mistakes, you've, you know, you really have fallen off the rails from time to time, you've, you've, you really have gone sideways, you've sort of backed away from the Lord like Judah was talking about, Um, and so you feel like, I don't know, I don't know if God could ever use me. I don't know if I could ever, you know, that God would even love me because of what I've done. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, you can learn something from the scriptures today. That God absolutely loves you, even in spite of the foolish things that we do from time to time. And the, the, the key is, is that you need to turn to him. Amen? Everyone say, I need to turn to him. Yeah, so Dave, David did that. David turned to God and, and repented, tried to conceal it at first, but when it was obvious and Nathan confronted him, he repented, uh, he, he, he repented. He confessed. And he became a man after God's own heart. And, and so that's why God allowed Solomon to become the next king of Israel. And he's reminding you and I that, that we, God still has a plan for our lives. Amen? So let's unpack this just a little bit, this guy by the name of Solomon. Solomon, let's find out how he chose to live his life and some of the things perhaps that, that may apply to us today. First of all, Solomon, Solomon pleases God by asking for wisdom. To reign as king. He, he actually asked God for wisdom above anything else. And let's look at 1 Kings. It's in your notes. It appears on the screen. You can look at it in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 3. It says this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said to him, Ask for whatever you want to me, and I will give it to you. Wow. It's like genie in the bottle, right? <laughs> Ask. Ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, okay? Solomon answered, verse 6, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. First takeaway, humility. All right? First takeaway, humility. He didn't say, oh, of course you finally got around to it because I'm all that in a bag of chips, right? No, he didn't say that. He said, I'm, I'm just a little child and I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to do this, God. I, best prayer a pastor can pray is, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Lead me. Did you hear me? Lead me. Help me. I trust you. I don't want to lean on my own understanding, but I want to lean on your understanding and all my ways acknowledge you and you said you would direct my path. Amen? So he goes on and says, your servant uh, is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So, he's getting ready to do the big ask, okay? So, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. The Lord was pleased. Everyone say pleased. I mean, God. you can bring God pleasure by the way you respond in life. God will never love you any more or less. He loves you with everything he is. But by the way you live your life and the way you choose to honor him and put him first, that pleases God. It says right here, so the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, you know what? Here's the deal. Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering, administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you'll never have an equal among the kings. And if, circle that, underline that, and the if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands. As David your father did, I will give you long life. And Solomon awoke and he realized it was a dream. God was trying to make a promise to him. Whether it was a dream, the Bible says that, that we'll, when we get old, we'll dream dreams, amen? <laughs> when we're young, we'll prophesy. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's totally biblical. But what a remarkable encounter. I mean, how many of you would be cool if you got one of those streams? <laughs> it's kind of like God shows up and starts to talk to you. See, Solomon doesn't, doesn't really ask for a really cool car or a three-hump camel, you know. He, he, he asks for wisdom, you know. He, he asks for wisdom. In the Hebrew, that, that's the Old Testament language. The, the word is hakma, and in the Greek it's the language of the New Testament. That word is Sophia. Now, uh, many of us choose to name our children Sophia, but I haven't heard Hachma much, you know. So maybe you could be the first, <laughs> those of you that are bearing children right now. Um, so what, what, was, what was Solomon asking for? What, what was he really saying? God, give me wisdom. Give me a discerning heart. Um, what is biblical wisdom? Well, I've got a biblical definition there in your notes, um, biblical definition there and then, but and then we'll sort of unpack that definition. Um, but here it goes biblical wisdom is the skill to consistently apply common sense with a discerning spirit learned from experienced or trusted mentors filtered. Through the word and will of God leading to optimal success in life. Come on, somebody say amen. I mean, that's, that's really what Solomon was asking for. I believe every one of us as believers need to ask for that as well. Amen? Anybody? So let's just unpack this just a little bit. So what wisdom? Wisdom is a skill, Okay. Um, wisdom is a skill it's not just knowing the best thing to do it's actually doing it and being skillful about it consistently is the next word in our definition consistently is the benefit the benefit that benefit comes through perpetually making good decisions in life in other words you're continuously consistently making good decisions in life because life is all about choices you, you made a choice this morning, Melissa. You got out of bed. Where are you at? Got out of bed and came to church. There she is, okay and uh, she said she didn't want to but but she did right <laughs> consist in other words consistently um, it's like the it's like the compounding interest in our bank system it's It's a lifetime of wise decisions produces great fruit. People ask me sometimes they'll say. Glenn, how do, I have, how do I have a good life? How do, I, how do I have a great life? My answer generally is, you know what? Don't think, about, don't think about 10 years from now or five years from now. Think about today, the next 24 hours you have right in front of you. Because, because if you make that day a masterpiece, and you choose to take that seriously enough to do what God's called you to do, you string a, a, a bunch of great days together, you'll have a great life amen so it's it's all about you know sort of the consistent making good decisions one day at a time that's wisdom that's part of the wisdom definition it is It's common sense this is the next paragraph or the next sentence um, that you either learn from your own life experience or from carefully selected mentors, people who you look up to people. You know personally people you listen to or read about, or you know just people that that somehow feed you and their trusted mentors. Even even if you don't know them, you can you could they can be a mentor in your life. Did you know that? Um, If I were to ask you today, who are some of your mentors? Who are they? You know, would you have an answer for me? Do you have mentors in your life? Would you have an answer? For me today, Um, and would I be impressed with who they might be, or your selection, or better yet, would God be impressed? In other words, not not just casually. I'm talking about impressed by the way they live their lives and the way they approach God, and their consistency to follow Him every day of their life. My, I have several mentors. A lot of my mentors died. You know, they're older than me that I looked up to. I've been. Say for about 42 years now, and a lot of my early mentors passed away, Vicky and I. Um, but I have mentors now that are all over the United States. I have accountability people that are in my life that, that I share my life, the deepest, darkest details of my life, my life, the, you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, and they hold me accountable. Um, uh, probably four or five, six in this city right here, that I meet with on a regular basis, a couple times a month. Um, those that's important, see. It's it's important that we actually have those kind of folks around us and have common sense as a result of that. Now, right off the bat, King Solomon is having to deal with a decision that is a is a game changer. It's it's a pretty serious decision, game game changer with King Solomon. First of all, in first King's 3 um, 16 um, two ladies prostitutes come to King Solomon and say um, you know what? I, we both had children. They're three days old, um, and we live in the same building. And one of, one of the ladies rolled over and smothered the three-year-old baby and then switched the baby out in the middle of the night with the other woman's baby that was alive. And so they approached King Solomon for, for him to make a decision on how they should proceed. Uh, And so, I mean, both of them say the live baby is their baby. And so, how is King Solomon to answer this? I mean, what is he supposed to do? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God gives him a discerning spirit. The wisdom of heaven. See, there's so many things in life that we don't have an answer for. Did you hear me? But when we pray and ask God for wisdom... All of a sudden he gives us this this unique, somewhat even mysterious sometimes idea that can help solve the problem out of the blue because we're trusting him so Solomon all of a sudden he decides he decides you know what cut the baby in half, just just cut the baby in half and and give you know an exact portion to each of the women, and it'll be over you'll both have a part of a child right and so what the one mother says, okay, that's cool with me. I'm down with that. The next mother, the next mother says, let the baby live. Give the baby to her. Give the baby to her. I'd, I'd rather see her have the baby than it die. So obviously, as a result of that, King Solomon finds out who the real mother is. The real mother wouldn't want her baby to die, right? But the one who killed her baby could care less, right? So she'll be in the same mess that she's in. See, biblical wisdom is more than simple common sense. It's filtered through the Word and the will of God. So please understand that. say, well, I'm just supposed to use common. No, no, you have to be. It has to be tethered to this. Did you hear me? It has to be tethered to the Scriptures. It has to be tethered to the word of God, the Word and the will of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? God's ways are higher than our ways. Did you know that? God's ways are higher than our ways. And He knows how life works. He created it. He wired it a certain way. He has values and visions. He he wants us to tune in with Him. See, His Word, His Word and His will are one. Did you know that? if you want to know God's will, know His what? His Word. And a lot of people don't want to do that because that takes work, you know, to press in and pursue. That takes work. And so, they don't want to, you know, to understand the will of God. But if you ever truly are going to understand the will of God, you need to have a good understanding of the Word of God. See, because this is what happens is is a situation presents itself to us and if we don't know the Word of God, oftentimes we have nothing to draw upon. And see, when we know the Word of God and we have a situation that is somewhat devastating and needs some supernatural counsel, we have the Word of God for the Holy Spirit to draw up out from. And when the Holy Spirit draws that out, out, out from the inside of you, because the Word was hid in your heart that you might not sin against Him, then God has something to work with. Amen? How many of you want God to have something to work with? Yeah. And that's why we need to understand the Word. And that's why this biblical definition talks about His Word and His will. It's filtered. That common sense comes from past experience, mentors, and it's filtered through, all that's filtered through the Word of God and His will. Amen? So, of course, 1 Corinthians, it's there in your Bible, or in your, um, yeah, it's in your Bible, um, in your notes. This is how the Message Bible talks about the, the wisdom that's available to us. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. But it's not this popular wisdom, see. That wasn't the popular decision in Solomon's day, it, you know. Most people wouldn't have ever thought that, you know. They would have, you know, flipped a coin or something like that, right? Um, but it's, it's not popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious, that goes deep. Everyone say deep. Deep into the interior of His purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out His best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. How many of you want God's wisdom? We're talking about God's wisdom here. I mean, oftentimes God's wisdom goes against basic, natural common sense when it's not filtered through the Word in God's will. For example, here in Proverbs 3.9, you have, you have that in your notes. This is a great example of this. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. We believe that's the tithe in the New Testament, the equivalent of the tithe. Honor Him with your tithes. With the first fruits of all your crops or your income. Then it gives us a promise. So it says, basically, if you'll do this, this will happen, all right? And that's what the Proverbs is all about. All right, so honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. In other words, God will bless you, right? Now, let me ask you a question How could giving away the very first cut of your income that you receive, even before you pay your bills, leave you with more in the end. It just doesn't make sense, right? It, it only makes sense when you bring the God factor into it, see? When the Holy Spirit says, cut, cut the baby in half. When, when, the, when the Holy Spirit says, give the first of your income, see? In other words, do, do even though it doesn't make sense, even though 100 minus 10, 10% is a tithe, 100 minus 10 equals 90, meaning, meaning you have less, not more. I mean, it's not common sense. It, it, if I give away my money, I, I'll have, not have more in the end. How does that make sense? I mean, the one who leans on worldly wisdom alone discounts what we call the God factor. You can't, you can't take out the God factor. If you want to be a candidate for the God factor, you need to learn how to obey the God obey the Bible, obey your God. see God watches how we honor him. Did you know that or not? I mean, Jesus sat and watched people as they gave. remember that in scripture? I mean you know that he He, he watches how we honor him with our money and our resources that He gave us, and then he intervenes on our behalf somehow some way Vicky and i've watched it hundreds of times over our, our lifetime. As we've honored him and put him first, see it's not common sense. See, when you give away, you end up with more. <laughs> You've heard it said before, you can't outgive God. And Vicky and I just happen to believe that. And so we've lived that way. And so, um, If you want to succeed in life, which brings us to the last word in our biblical definition, okay, if you live this way, if you choose to live with that whole commitment thing and that consistent thing and that skillful thing and that mentor and and all of that and trusting God through His Word and His will, if you choose to live this way, you put yourself in the best position to experience success in life, okay? Okay? And that's the last word of our biblical definition. Anyone interested in a little success? Anyone? I guess not. I guess I guess not. Okay. All right. So keep in mind, God's success, every time you say that, or for the most part, when you say that word, people think dollar signs, you know. But God's, God's definition of success is holistic. It's, uh, it, it's, more, it's more than just that. God's success, it includes success in business and finance, but it extends to success in marriage and family, success in happiness and contentment and peace. It includes success in the things that matter most to God. That's the success we're talking about here. Second second principle that we can take away from Solomon's life is Solomon writes wisdom so that everyone in his care or realm can be wise. So he writes three books that are that are written by Solomon, three books, the, obviously Proverbs, Proverbs he wrote, Proverbs he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote Song of Songs. Now, um, I've been reading Proverbs for decades, every month, and we do it in our men's group, in our small group, we read a proverb of the day, so whatever today is, I read that proverb, so there's like 31 proverbs, right? And today is the 10th, right? So you would read Proverbs 10. And then tomorrow I'd read Proverbs 11, and so on and so forth. Why? Because I want wisdom. I want to I hide God's Word in my heart so that, so that when situations arise, I can, I can draw from it and apply it to the situation at hand. I'm going to read you a, uh, just a sampling of some of the things he wrote that might help you stay out of some lukewarm pots. <laughs> Because that's what Proverbs really is all about. If, if, if Solomon had only taken his own advice and lived that way for the duration of his life, um, he wouldn't have gotten into trouble. But we, these are lukewarm pots that you can stay out of according to Proverbs so you don't end up cooked. <laughs> so, for example, Proverbs, it says, Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. David, of course, should have read that, of course. Sluggards, next one, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest, they look but find nothing. They don't, they don't plant, or I mean, sorry, they don't plow in season. Uh, that's the pot of lukewarm water. They're cooked when it comes to harvest time. There's nothing there. Another one would be food gained by fraud tastes sweet. That's the lukewarm pot of water. But one who ends up with a mouthful of gravel, I'm sorry, but ends yeah, with a mouthful of gravel, the person gets cooked. A gossip betrays a confidence. That's the cooked part. You lose friends because you have betrayed a confidence. If you curse your father and your mother, that's the lukewarm water in the pot, thinking that it's no big deal, your lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. That's the cook part. In other words, you got in the pot, you got cooked. An inheritance claimed too soon, that's the lukewarm water, will not be blessed in the end. That's the being cooked part. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor, that's the pot of water, will also cry out and not be answered. That's the cook part. See, the point is Solomon knew all about what happens to frogs that stay in the pot of water too long? He knew that, and yet he ended up doing some things that ended up causing him to be cooked, anyway. Number three, number three is Solomon built the temple for God, and he grows in popularity. So, this is the beginning of the pot. Okay, I mean, not building the temple, but just what after happens after that. In 1 Kings 6. It says that the temple that the King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, picture that in your mind, 30 feet wide and 45 feet high. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. It projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple and Solomon also made narrow recessed windows throughout the temple. Now in the text we can see that the construction details or reveals a temple of modest footprint. We're talking 30 by 90. That's that's not large, um, but but of spectacular beauty, I might add. That was the that was the temple, and it was of hi- historic um, significance as well. There was two bronze pillars that led to the portico, which then led to the holy place of God, um, built by cedar pine, juniper, and olive wood, and then the most holy place was overlaid with gold. It was stunningly, spectacularly beautiful. The ark of God then was placed in the most holy place where the entry was limited to the high priests. Now, construction of that temple that Solomon was assigned to do, remember David wanted to build the temple? And David, God said no to David. He said, your son will do it, Solomon, will do it. And uh, so it took seven years for him to build this temple. He used 180,000 workers, laborers, and 4,000 different supervisors or leaders. So that, that's sort of the historical fact of the, the temple that Solomon built. Number four, last and not least, Solomon, who started strong, ends poorly Solomon who started strong ends poorly it says in 1 Kings 11 1 through 3 now King Solomon loved many foreign women Um, that's kind of like me but not many foreign women (laughs) just one (laughs) my wife is from Chile (laughs) and so I can get I understand that right Now, Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab and Ammon and Edom and Sidon and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly, listen to this, clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway not a good idea. Everyone say that. That's not a good idea. Okay? He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. That's the Bible. Now, first, let's let's drill down just a little bit. He kept adding wives to his harem. He from the text we see he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which concubines were just simply, essentially a legal mistress. It was all right, in other words. I don't know about the women, but it was all right. <laughs> um, that's like 999 too many. Wives, turn to your husband and say, that's way too many. And yeah, go ahead. That's way too many. So, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping up with one. You know what I'm saying? How could you deal with a 1,000 wow so so, but that that 's not the real problem here, he, all the wives and the stuff he had uh, from a human and worldly perspective, see if you were just going by worldly wisdom this wouldn 't have been a problem at all. Matter of fact, it would have been a, a stroke of genius. Why? Because it seemed wise these women coming from all these different countries helped Solomon form some. Very political and strategic alliances with other nations. And so, from just a basic strategic, you know, strategic, you know regular wisdom idea or basic sense, it just made sense. You, and you can secure some great favors, right? You just keep adding on and on and on and on. However, here's the problem these foreign women worshiped other gods. And Eventually, they they talked Solomon into building temples for them and allowing them to worship their God, and then he started to worship them as well. Now, this is a violation of the first commandment. You shall have what? No other gods before me, God said. So God warned him of this very thing personally and said it's not good. And when it comes to biblical wisdom, this is foolish. It's foolish. He should have seen it coming. He was a man of great wisdom. He was, he was the wisest person on the planet. But he got in the pot. He got in the pot of a lot of women. He, he got in the pot. And it wasn't good. It didn't end well. So as we close today, I just want to bring to your attention a couple of things. God's brand of wisdom is something you must ask for. Right? It's something you must ask for. It just doesn't come automatic to you just because you go to Metro Believers Church <laughs> or any other church for that matter. It, it comes when we ask. Solomon asked for God to give him great wisdom, and it served him well most of his life in him, until he decided to disobey the Lord. And started to marry these women that worshiped other gods. I've seen that happen. In my lifetime, when I've watched, you know, guys get hooked up with gals that, or vice versa, um, that weren't Christians and didn't worship God and they were atheists or this or that. And before long, they they so pulled the other person down that they were doing the same thing and they lost their witness, they lost their walk with the Lord because they were worshiping someone other than God because of the associations they kept up with. Don't do it. Get out of the pot. Solomon asked for wisdom he got it. the same invitation I believe is open to us today. We can ask for it. The Bible says in James 1.5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you would say that's me? I got my hand up, my other hand up, my feet up. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Now, do you want stability in your life to face whatever comes your way? Then ask him, ask God for wisdom. Solomon gets cooked. He jumps into the pot of love for many foreign women and that heated up and turned his heart towards other gods. Listen, no one wakes up one day and says, today I'm going to destroy my life and all of my relationships. It's, this thing happens slowly. It's just a slow process. It reminds me of the video I saw years ago of the song, Casting Crowns. It's a slow fade. Let's go ahead and watch that and think about it. All the things that happen slowly. It doesn't happen all of a sudden like a frog in a pot of boiling water. Let's watch this.
3: Second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow. When black and white
0: A slow fade. It's the frog in the kettle. Here's my heart today. I believe God wants to spare you from making horrible decisions that can cost you dearly in your lifetime. I don't know what it is, I don't know what it looks like, but we need to learn life lessons. From this servant of God today, Solomon, who had it all, king that had it all, chose to mess it up in the end. I've got three things rolling around my heart. First, if you want to stay out of the pot of lukewarm water, first, do your best to desire to finish strong. And pray for it. This has become one of my primary goals. As I've grown older. Vicky and I have talked about this. And I've preached on it. Different places. Just the whole idea of finishing strong. I don't, it's, it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And not to be caught off guard. I've had so many of my friends. Pastors. Great churches. Lose it all. Because they they were caught off guard, they, they jumped into the pot of lukewarm water. it wasn 't a big deal it won 't hurt me before you knew it. They got cooked. So I want to challenge you to pray, pray to finish well, second, just ask for that wisdom from heaven ask. For God to give you that wisdom from heaven. On a daily basis, you need it daily. And third, last but not least, invite invite some accountability into your life of people who will challenge you when they see you slip into the pot of lukewarm water. When they see you acting differently than you would normally. When they see you compromising what you stood for to gain something that will destroy you. Let's stand together.: So we're going to worship for just a minute or two here, a couple minutes, and be dismissed.
3: If you want to know more about life lessons, check us out online at Metrobelievers.com, or write to us at MetroBelievers Church. PO Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.